Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. I meant for you to ask and to get a response. Okay, I think you've got the wrong neighbor. Why not look for the right neighbor? <laughs> I said neighbor. I, I'm thinking you are the right neighbor. How are you doing? Not, look at that person, not that first, how are you doing? The real, how are you doing? So ask them, as in, I really care, how are you doing? So tell them how you are doing. Hallelujah. What a great time to be again a presence of the Lord. And I know God has a plan for us this morning. Would you lift up your hands and glorify Jesus this morning? He's the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. All things are made by him and for him. Visible and invisible. Thrones and dominions. Principalities and powers. He's before all things. In him all things consist. It has pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell in him. And blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world. Let's thank him because he chose us. That means he exercised his will. He could have done without us, but somehow he included us in a package. And the Bible says it was before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame in his sight. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Oh, my leader, Prekedina, Mama Sudopromo, Jipradi, Lesupraba, Kobola Prekedina, Mama Sidaba. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God? It has not yet appeared what we shall be. But when we see him, we shall be like him. He that has his opening purified himself even as he's pure.
Thou changest not thy compassion, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever. We're saying that this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hands are provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. To God be the glory, great things has done so loving the world that he gave us his son that this life and atonement for sin and open down life gates that all men we say that this morning praise the Lord praise the Lord let the Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice to the Father. Would you just lift up your hands? There is such a move of the Spirit in the house this morning. Sing to Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, as we teach this morning, we declare everyone is blessed.
lifted, edified, strengthened, and encouraged to the teaching of the word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we establish grace and righteousness in our spirit, thank you for the release of grace. And thank you for the gift of righteousness. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, pray. Give the Lord a shout. So take your seat. Amen. I'd like to welcome everybody again to this um, interesting service. And uh, we'd like to begin. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We've been on this Corinthian theme for some time now. I mean, we thought it's something that you could uh, possibly cover in four Sundays, but alas, we've not even started scratching it on the surface, and four Sundays gone. <laughs> so we will look for another time to do a thorough thematic analysis of the entire book, because I'm sure it's going to take a whole year to be able to do a good job. Praise God forevermore. So, First uh, Corinthians 1 verse 20. So we're still looking at the epistle of Paul to the 21st century. And for those who are joining us, it's difficult to give a recap of all that we've said, but we'll try. And you're welcome to PowerPoint. Try for those who are coming for the first time. What we do here is a systematic teaching of the Word of God to edify the saints in such a manner that the Word of God is real. And it's a resource you can use from Monday to Saturday. And it's not something you just see on Sunday. And that is what is the heart and uh, trust of today's teaching. So it's uh, on that is subtitled to the Epistle of Paul to the uh, 21st century. You want to call this how to convert Hebrew to Greek. <laughs> That's the whole essence of Christianity. How you are going to live as a Christian in the 21st century is... It's, uh, it, it depends on your ability to convert Hebrew to Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. It was not a mistake. It was a divine orchestration. So what the Lord is saying is that can we convert all these Hebrew prayers, Hebrew words, Hebrew songs, and give them a Greek coefficient in a real world? And to the extent to which you can do that is the extent to which Christianity will be reasonable in the 21st century. So our prayers are Hebrew, isn't it? Songs are Hebrew. You know, we lifted up our hands now. We said some Hebrew rhymes. <laughs> but when you step out tomorrow, the world in which you live in is Greek. Sure. It is ruled by Archimedes principle. You have Tita, Alpha, Gamma. You have all those things. So the, the real world is Greek. So how do you convert this Hebrew resource, this spiritual capital, and give it um, socioeconomic coefficient. That is, the, that is the challenge of Christianity in the 21st century. Look at, I mean, for example, as you lifted up the hand, you raised up Jesus, you said all those beautiful things this morning. That's Hebrew. Somebody say Hebrew. Hebrew. Look at your neighbor, he's a good Hebrew guy. <laughs> so, but, but we, 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 we wake up tomorrow morning as we begin to hear <laughs> the word is saying, welcome to the Greek world, where mathematics is real, where you have to find the angle. You can't argue theta, gamma, where Young's modulus is real, mirror formula, and all those Greek, Greek things. So here you are now, an Hebrew person 
who has received spiritual resource in a fashion, in a manner that is Hebrew? How do you convert it to Greek? And that's where a lot of people fail. So we receive so much in church in terms of spiritual capital, but we don't know how to give social interface to what we received because we've not been taught. So most of the things we receive as resource in church, we leave it in church. Because we get on there, here you are, you're a marketer, and things are not moving. And you are like, Lord, how do I scale my business? How do I move things to the next level? Meanwhile, in church, they prophesy, somebody this year, your business is going to, <laughs> that's Hebrew. And Hebrew is solid. In the wisdom of God, God now said, look, we don't want to contain this thing in church. We don't want it to just be like Hebrew rhymes. You know, when these Greek guys met Paul, we're still going to look at it later, they said, what would this babbler say? So we don't want to go into a corporate world and be babbling. Imagine Joseph standing before Pharaoh. That's a very good example of converting Hebrew to Greek or converting Hebrew to Egyptian. <laughs> Daniel converted Hebrew to Chaldean. And in the conversion of Hebrew to Chaldean, Daniel made us to understand that Hebrew to Chaldean is ratio 10 to 1. Well, somebody's not getting what I'm saying. That means the resource, the wisdom that is deposited in what we do as Hebrews, what we do in the church, if you take it to Babylon, and you do a conversion, it is raised to power 10. So when, when they tested the intelligence of Hebrew boys, vis-a-vis -vis the intelligence that is available in Babylon, by the time they looked at the data, they found out that these Hebrew guys have got something going on for them. But because Daniel was able to convert it, imagine Joseph standing before Pharaoh, and, and all that Joseph was doing is that Pharaoh, Rekebe Stekini, Meneme Stofradi. Believe me, he's doing something fantastic in the spirit. But in the real world that is Egypt, these people are about to face famine. What is your Hebrew deposit saying about this famine? And can you say it in Egyptian language? It's amazing what many of us say when we, when we pray in tongues. But you see, the problem is that when we don't get into what we call the real world, it's very difficult for us to translate or to interpret. Interpretation is the problem. So when Joseph looked at the dream of Pharaoh, what did he do to the dream of Pharaoh? That is what Hebrew guys do. They look at what these Greeks, these Egyptians, or these Chaldeans are saying, and they interpret it. Because once you deplore the Hebrew that is in you, you will interpret anything in the socioeconomic space. So you see, the challenge is not that your business is doing well. It's not doing well. The challenge is that you can't interpret what you have said in church in such a manner that you can apply it on a Monday morning. And if you, cannot, if you are not able to do that, you are not in Christianity, you are in religion. Religion is that we excite ourselves on Sunday morning, and on Monday morning we become confused. Because all the excitement will die down, because there's no practical application of all the excitement. You understand? And we don't want to dwell like that. And that's why this series is very, very important. So look at your neighbors. Are you Hebrew or Greek? <laughs> or both? You know, even if we share the grace here, yeah, we've said enough. Yes, <laughs> Something for somebody to think about. You know, lift up Jesus, he is King of Kings. Lift up Jesus, he is Lord of Lords. You said it and you are right. Where you are, you have exam to write on Monday morning. <laughs> you have lifted up Jesus. You have said he's a King of Kings. How does that translate into academic excellence? 
So there will always be a gap in our theory and our hypothesis if we don't understand some of the things we want to teach this morning. We'll just get excited, and at the end of the talk, nothing to show for it. Praise God forevermore. So look at your neighbor. Say, can you convert? Can you convert? In Greek. I mean, so what the whole Bible is telling us is that, so from Genesis to Malachi, Hebrew, Matthew to Revelation, Greek. What do you think they are trying to say? Say, can we get the Greek version of this Hebrew story? Because the word, word is no longer Hebrew. The word is now Greek. So if you cannot tell those Hebrew stories in Greek, Christianity will become a thing of the past. So in the wisdom of God, God packaged it that way. And that's why you see Paul and all these guys, the first breakthrough they had as the gospel started progressing was the ability to get in the Greek guys. Because without them, it would just become an Hebrew cult. And that is the end. So let's begin to read 1 Corinthians 1.20. And um, we will get there. Is my introduction very good? Are you salivating already? <laughs> and you want to know what this is all about? Because if we don't get this, Christianity will not just make sense. So he said, where, where's the wise? Where? I like Paul. Where is the scribe? Look at what Pastor Peace did this morning. Mm, solid guy. <laughs> Even me as I sat there, I was like, wow, this guy is good. <laughs> It's just that he needs. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I just said, why are you laughing? What does he need? <laughs> he needs a word. Okay, good. <laughs> Until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. <laughs> he said, where, where is the wise? So we read all these autobiographies of all these people. And in our... Hebrew mind, we said these, these are successful people, these are wise people. You know, if, if, if you say mention the names of wise people now, you, you, you hear all kinds of names. Somebody will mention somebody that names ends with gates. Somebody will mention somebody that names where we <laughs> Buffett. <laughs> somebody will mention Gote <laughs> and all those names. But somebody will never say Paul, or Jesus, or P.D. <laughs> so Paul had to come. He said, guys, where is the wise? Where? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? That's the question you need to answer in your heart. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So Paul is saying, how come you guys don't know that once you find wisdom somewhere and it's not rooted in Christ, it's foolishness. But unfortunately, because we cannot convert our Hebrew resource into Greek, a lot of people trust the Greek wisdom more than our Hebrew heritage. So a lot of people trust motivational speakers more than preachers. So a lot of people want to look at books, autobiographies of people who are successful. And before you know it, they begin to pattern their lives after such people because they trust such more than the Bible. 
So for example, now somebody can read the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham is so remote. It was like Abraham, you know, Abraham the Hebrew. But a lot of people don't know how to convert Abraham and begin to interface with Abraham the Greek. Because if Abraham's story ended as an Hebrew entity, it will not be mentioned in the New Testament. So the New Testament that was written in Greek still told us Abraham is applicable here. The New Testament gave us a version of Abraham that perhaps the Old Testament folks who lived with Abraham did not know. Imagine the New Testament now telling us that to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. It does not say to seed as of many, but to seed, and that seed is Christ. So the Bible even made us understand that the story of Abraham continued in Christ. That there's a continuity. So and that's why Paul is saying, who is your role model? Where is the wise? Because everybody wants to go after the wise guys, you know. And, and, and don't misquote me. I'm not saying don't read any of those books. Because it was as Daniel and his companions read those Chaldean literatures that they found out that what they carried was ten times better. So at times, when you are reading some of those books, it should remind you that you are better. So none of those books can be a target. They can only be something that awakens the giant that is in you. That means if you are reading an autobiography of a successful man according to this world that is not in Christ, he, he cannot be a target. You, he cannot be, oh man, this is, this, is the, this is the epitome of living. He can't be Guru Maharaj, the perfect living master. <laughs> he can only be a reminder of the fact that how shall we sing the lost song in a strange land? It can only be a reminder of the fact that we have hanged our harps by the rivers of Babylon. It can only be a reminder of the fact that we have forgotten Zion. He said, he said we wept when we remembered Zion. And those people now ask them, you see, the, the unbelieving world understands that what we carry is superior. They know. Because in Babylon, why did Nebuchadnezzar say those people from Judah train them? Because Nebuchadnezzar knew it would take Zion to build Babylon. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar knew if you want to Babylon to become a world power, you must deploy something that is Zion great. And that is why you have to bring in the likes of Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. That these Hebrew guys, if you can convert the Hebrew element in them and give it a Babylonian interface, Babylon will become the greatest power. Pharaoh also understood. That was why you see Pharaoh. It didn't matter to him that Joseph was not an Egyptian. The moment he listened to Joseph, he said, this is our man. And somebody said, how can you make a foreigner vice president? <laughs> then, I mean, Pharaoh said, I'm Pharaoh. The evening and morning star. And guess what? I'm the artificial intelligence of this age. This guy is the vice president. And everybody said, yes, sir. Because Pharaoh said, we've seen something in him that can make Egypt a world power. We don't have it in Egypt, but this guy brought it from somewhere. And I can see the intelligence is supplying as something that is superior. So if that happened, I just gave us Daniel and I just gave us Joseph under the old covenant, without the cross, without the blood. If the epistle of condemnation written on the engraving stone was glorious, how much more? If Joseph, without speaking in tongues, Daniel, without speaking in tongues, manifested a dimension of the Holy Spirit that made the then Greek world to know 
that these guys have something superior. So if, if Daniel, without speaking in tongues, without New Testament, without the blood, without the cross, it was 10 times better. How many times better do you think it's going to be now? That means if we, if we do a statistical analysis of the wisdom we carry, vis-a-vis wisdom of this world, now with the cross, with the blood, <laughs> with the new covenant, with the epistles, with Paul, ah, with Peter, with the Lord himself, it will be one million times better. But do we believe that? That is why a young, an average young person will not read the scripture again. And that is what, see, the enemy is so smart. He's trying to distract us from our power base. He's making us to despise our power base. Because he knows, and that was why when eventually Daniel got to Babylon. You know, that's part of the fact that they helped Babylon to become a world power. You know, Babylon still said, we'll still show you that way. this is Babylon. He said, nobody should pray. Ah, and Daniel said, that is my power source. Daniel said, if I don't open this window three times a day and connect with Jerusalem, something dies in me. That means these guys understood that this is the power base. So have you gotten to a time that in your interacting with the social economic world, you know where your power base is coming from? Your greatest power base is speaking in tongues. Because there's a social economic importance of tongues. That is a good place to say amen. amen. <laughs> Look at your neighbor. Say there is a social economic importance of tongues. And if that your neighbor is not receiving it, turn to another neighbor. There's always a better neighbor. <laughs> say there is a social economic importance of tongues. I might challenge you this morning. So, so. The question is this. What window are you opening every day towards Jerusalem? You know what I mean? I'm not saying literally. For somebody, by now, you should die if in a day you don't read 10 chapters. Because you know that's your power base. For somebody, death, you know death is imminent if you don't pray one hour in tongues every day. So you are not allowing these Babylonians to dictate how you do things. You are the one running your world because you know that man, what we carry is superior. So if all these unbelieving world can do all they do, and, and the successful guys that we read about, the, the autobiographies, can do what they do without Christ, without praying in tongues, they've just shown us the lower version of what we can do. And that's why when we read them, we read them in context, with the understanding of the fact that if, if a man... A young man, by the grace of God, can embrace what we're saying this morning. The story of Dangote will just be one of those stories. But unfortunately, we tend to forget who we are. Because this system, this Greek system, has a way of telling us we're failures. So somebody born of God, originally did, without going to school, was a super genius. But he goes to school and this system tells him or her, you are a hard student. <laughs> you can't go to science class. So what, what do you think started with the guy? He'll begin to think I'm not brilliant. Because the Greek system says, you know, Omar, go and do philosophy. You cannot do physics. 
You cannot do chemistry. Your mind is too... You know, when we're talking about Tita Gamma, you know, those scientific times, Young's Modulus, you got me there. Charles Law, Boy's Law, Avogadro's Law, <laughs> Archimedes Principle, because these are Greek stuff. I mean, you can't be there. Equal volume of all the gases under the same condition of temperature and pressure contain the same number of molecules. You can't be there. <laughs> and this law, you can't be there. Impedance, reactors, capacitors. Say, no. Say, are those the names of demons? Say, no, no. <laughs> Imagine this, we say reactants, capacitors, impedance, resistance in series, resistance in parallel. And like, what's that? <laughs> so, you see, you look at those things and they look intimidating. But Paul is saying, where is the wise? Those things are not as serious as one verse of scripture. Oh. Uh, so that you know scripture. Oh, you know what Paul told Timothy? He said, from a child, you have known the Holy Scripture, which is able to make you what? Oh, man. You see, the wisdom level of knowing scripture is more than further maths. So even if you don't know further maths, know scripture. <laughs> because, look, what helped Joseph? No scripture. You can imagine when Pharaoh said, this is the dream that I had. All kinds of socioeconomic postulations and theorems and hypotheses will be flying in the air. Somebody would have told Pharaoh, he said, you know, our GDP is all time low, so we need to increase borrowing rate. You know, give me all those times. We need to increase debt service ratio. We need to, in fact, I'm, I'm the chief consultant of Pricewaterhouse. So in Pricewaterhouse, we, we did a report of Africa in 2035. This is our <laughs> forecast. This is what we have found out. We found out that if, if the economy of Nigeria can just, and they begin to talk, and Pharaoh will be looking at them. He said, there's something I'm looking for. Nobody's saying. And Joseph came forward. He said, sectaris parables. Ignore it, because all things are never equal. <laughs> so Joseph said, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. The years of abundance will last for seven years. So note number seven. It will repeat itself again. The years of famine will come. It's going to be seven. What God should do is that the next 14 years is very, very strategic. What do we do to arrest everything in the next 14 years. Let's say one-fifth. 20% of our harvest in the year of abundance, let's save it. In the years of famine, let's open it. Because in another 14 years, there's going to be green bubble. The most important and the most expensive thing on earth in 14 years will not be land, will not be money, will not be people. It will be grain. So let's do a strategic grain reserve for the next 14 years, so that by the time the year of famine eats, Egypt will become the next world power. That is the Holy Spirit. You can't get that in other business review. So what we're saying to ourselves this morning is that the Holy Spirit in us is underrated. We, we have not expressed this Holy Spirit. Because we don't believe in the capability of the Holy Spirit. We believe 
and the capability of experts. So, so that's why Paul said, where is the wise? He said, suppose go to a level. He said, all these wise people you are talking about, I can't see them. Where are they? So all I'm seeing is that God has made foolish the wisdom of this age. Somebody say made foolish. So, what are you saying, Brother Paul? And that's why he now said in verse 7, how do we correct this anomaly? But we speak wisdom. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The first correction of this anomaly is speaking in tongues. Because the Bible says when a man speaks in tongues, it's not speaking unto men. It's speaking what? Mysteries unto God. Learn every day as you are going out to engage that faculty that God has given to us. As, as we are going to class, as we are doing things, begin to speak wisdom. And one of the ways to speak wisdom is to speak in tongues. I didn't say pray in tongues now. You know, there's a difference between speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. Speaking in tongues are just speaking. You are going. You are not praying. Let crossy day in a common steel. And, and before you know it, start interpreting what you are saying. Start interpreting what you are saying. What you are saying is that this is our business. We are moving it from making 30 million every month to making 100 million every month. And these are the strategies that will make us, and, and as we are speaking, you are speaking, you are going on, you will just see a stop by the right side. And without anybody saying anything, you are saying, we need to move into that stop. Because we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Look at it. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Look, ages will come and go. But God is saying, I've ordained something before the ages. So what I've ordained is ageless. And it's for your glory. And look at verse number eight. Bad news. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. So that means the kind of development God wants to see on the face of the earth in, in the social economic sector is yet to see it. Because those who are there now don't go to church. Mention any ruler of this age that is a solid Christian. It's just of late, believers are beginning to come into that space. Like, you know, when having a gist with Pastor Rampo the other day, Pastor Tony looked at me and he said, PD, I said, sir, he said, tell me one Christian that is a mortal billionaire and that is tongue talking, Holy Ghost filled, Bible quoting, church going. Radical, acrobatical, <laughs> sabbatical, you know. <laughs> and we started thinking, hey, we're, we're able to mention two or three. But look at the rulers of this day, the guys who have the money, who have the influence. Paul did not say they don't know anything. He said, but what we are talking about, they don't know it. That means the next level of billionaires would the mighty will have money, but they will not marry a second wife. They will live in a three-bedroom apartment as billionaires because they understand the purpose of money is not bigger and better. The purpose of money is to finance the purpose of God in the face of the earth. Imagine a, a next-level billionaire that is just driving a regular car. Because God has done something in your heart. You now know that the billions is not to buy Jeep. 
that you can be a billionaire and drive a normal car and live a normal life. I even go by public transport. <laughs> you see? You know why you are laughing? You have been programmed with the wisdom of this age. So that means God is saying, do something anti this age. So, you know why you become a billionaire? There are things people expect you to do. Don't do any of those things. That is why your billions are, are here to come. Because your, your operating system is still this age. Once I make it, ah, oh, once I hammer, <laughs> man, they could take. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a revenge system in you. You want to revenge. So, somebody has chanced you. <laughs> so, you are waiting for the time you are going to make it. And you now drive that Jeep. Say, are you at home? I want to come and greet you. <laughs> you know, you now say, ah, you're not going to escort me. And I'll get her. And I'll say, ah. <laughs> One of those things God just did. <laughs> he said, Oh no, I will travel. To go and do what? I'll just travel. I'll just travel. And God is saying, That age is gone. It's foolishness. That the new age I'm bringing about. I'm raising a generation of people who will interact with the wisdom of God, lead a very simple life. Joseph, with all the wealth he had in Egypt, the day Joseph died, it was only his bones they carried out. So the wealth in this new age is to serve the purpose of God. And that's why you become a CEO and you don't have a girlfriend. Because somebody is angry. All this sex, it deprived me. Oh, mom, once I am, I will, what are you talking about? You will do what? So, so some people, the way they are behaving is actually anger. They are responding. Maybe a lady said no. He said, no, nah, uh, mama, or every lady. <laughs> and God is saying, you are still part of this age. Look at what he said. He said, which none of the princes of this world, I like that, knew. They don't know it. So if the wisdom they know is working for them, and we have said what they don't know, at least in Egypt when it was tested, it was ten times better. So if we deplore what we know, oh man. You see, that is what God is waiting for. He is waiting for you to submit to this new wisdom, not this new age. Because this age, we want to try to tell you you don't know anything. You know, have you heard people before? He said, somebody will be quoting scripture. Somebody will say, let's be real. Let's be real. What is more real than scripture? He said, don't sound spiritual. <laughs> how, do, how do I sound? He said, don't sound spiritual. He said, we're not talking Bible here. I'm more real world. I'm saying real world. And you too, because you don't believe what you carry. You are like, okay, okay. Instead of quoting Bible, let's quote Aristotle so that they can accept you. But it's not your fault also. You too, you don't know how to convert Hebrew to Greek. So you don't need to say 1 Corinthians 3 without saying it. You can say 1 Corinthians 3 in Greek. 
And they will have believed what you are saying without them reasoning that his Bible. Imagine after Joseph spoke. Joseph just spoke Bible in the sense that it was what God had said to Abraham. Joseph just said. The Bible said the thing was good in the sight of Pharaoh. Before they could change their mind, they've implemented the policy. Before somebody now said, excuse me, this guy just put it. Pharaoh said, I don't care. Bible or no Bible, let him go. This is good. Imagine Joseph got there and said, Genesis 1. <laughs> the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. What is about to happen now is connected to Abraham. It's because of Abraham. This family is happening 400 years ago. He said to Abraham, He said, You'll go, Your descendant will go into a nation. And that nation, is, I mean, <laughs> Pharaoh will say, Who is this that darkens counsel with what without knowledge? Joseph will end up in a lion's den. Joseph feed this one to lions. But the thing was good. And the side of Pharaoh. So, so there is a way you can communicate scriptural truth. Because your depth in the world is solid. And you, you'll be drawing your inspiration from the scriptures. And people will not know it's scripture. Because all scripture are, are profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. And the moment you begin to quote scripture, you become the man of God. That the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto every good work. He didn't say unto church work. That means the answer for every good work is scripture. Where we are, we live in a generation now where Bible is unlike anathema. An average Christian today doesn't know beyond John 3.16. So all the singles are saying, we want to marry, we want to marry, we want to marry. And we're like, you want to marry? Yeah, it's good to marry. Or give me seven scriptures about marriage. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is that part of the syllabus? <laughs> but you want to marry. So you don't have biblical framework for marriage. And that is why people want to be slay girls, slay mama. Now, what is the latest one people want? Malian, or what? <laughs> You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm very active on social media. So I read all those things. And I'm like, why is it that once in a while, <laughs> the enemy has a way of just distracting people? Manliness. And you remove your trouser. <laughs> you put your own, and somebody has put it on. And as all of you are watching, somebody's dragging it. <laughs> Satan has a sense of humor. <laughs> but on a serious note, what are you doing with scripture? So, so he said, for God, they, have, have they known it? What, what is a separator? They will never crucify the law of glory. That means anyone that knows this wisdom will be born again, automatically. And for you and I to be born again and not to assess this wisdom is, is a disturbance in the system. Because the point of assessing this wisdom is that you will never, you will never do what? Crucify the Lord of glory. And that's what we've done in church this morning. We've given glory to the Lord. We've, we've worshipped him. That means we acknowledge the Lord of glory. And that is what the other side, they don't want to hear. So let's, let's see the practicality of this flow. Now, Paul in Athens, 
And I'm beginning to close. Oh my. I need to do this. Ah. Do you know I've not even started teaching? Everything I've said so far is just to say good morning. Thank you for coming to church. It's just to check you. Uh, how are you doing? Are you fine? Are you okay? Is somebody just jipped you? <laughs> is the guy you are with the man? Or the one you are with is not your husband? The Lord said that to a woman, isn't it? By the web. So the one you are with now is not your husband. That's the wisdom we're talking about. He picked it immediately. He said, you know what? He just said yes to somebody yesterday. It's not your husband. Because there's a wisdom that is beyond the wisdom of this age. Don't stay in this age. It's a disadvantage. Now, one scripture, then we'll, we'll consider another one. <laughs> They will not have crucified the Lord of glory, right? Somebody say amen. amen. Now look at what Paul said here again. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.23. Then I'll read this one more scripture, then I'll be able to teach. And somebody will say, what have I been doing since morning? <laughs> but we preach Christ crucified. What is a separator? He just read and I said, and they know they will never have done what? Crucifying love, glory. Never. Let's read the scripture there. One to go, everyone. But unto us, who are called both Jews and Greeks, They have told the multimedia guys to be using New King James Version, but they still use the old King James Version because they are children of King James, 1611. Nobody is speaking that English again on there. Imagine I come to you and say, thou art my sister. How are you going to feel? <laughs> but there was a time 400 years ago if I said that, I was correct. But nobody is saying that because English language has evolved. And that is what the New King James Version has done. Because you are reading here that unto them who are called, right? It said, but to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. Next verse, but the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. From the beginning of this series, we, we said, what is happening today is a clash between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this age. And you cannot be neutral. It's either you are working with one or working against the other. Once you plug in into the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of God cannot work for you. And once you plug into the wisdom of God, you will despise the wisdom of this age. Because in most cases, it is what experts tell you not to do that the wisdom of God will ask you to do. It is how Harvard, or some of these people say you should not run business. <laughs> the wisdom of God will ask you to run business. The wisdom of God is always anti the wisdom of this age. And because we are, we've been schooled in the wisdom of this age, we, we've been in that system since nursery and primary, since kindergarten, until we graduated. So we feel this is superior. And the Lord is saying, no, 
There's something better that the whole essence of being born again and going through the value chain of the Holy Spirit is education itself. Look at what Paul said here. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews. Stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is what? The power of God. The wisdom of God. Why is it so? Verse 22. And I really skip that because I want us to, when I to read this first and I'll go back to verse 22. Now read verse 22. Why is it so? One to go. The Jews require what? And the Greeks seek what? Someone says sign. Wisdom. What is converting Hebrew to Greek is the ability to convert the sign to wisdom. So there are two different set of people in the world, the Jews, the religious guys, the church guys, they're always looking for signs. And when Jesus came, Jesus even said, that is an adulterous generation. And he said, no signs shall be given to it, and it's the sign of Prophet Jonah, you remember that. But on the other side, these Greeks are saying, you mean somebody rose from the dead? That's foolishness, man. How, how, how did that happen? You know, they listened to Paul very well, about to get until he said resurrection. He said, resurrection, what? That's some high-level foolishness. How can somebody rise from the dead? You know why the Greek questioned that? That is the very essence of Christianity. Paul said, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is in vain. That means... The reason why the enemy doesn't want people to plug into the wisdom of God is that he knows once you plug into the wisdom of God, what you begin to experience is resurrection. That means things that are dead will begin to come alive. And the enemy, you see, the greatest threat to the existence of the enemy is that somebody rose from the dead. That you mean somebody can come out of the grave? You mean a part of me that is dead can come alive again? I will not allow that narrative to, to gain traction. That's the strategy of the enemy. Because every other wisdom will tell you the way we did it. In fact, they will drop pathway for you. Seven rules. Habit of highly effective people. Seven. Only for them to go and do for that result. Now, 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 eight. So if I know it, there'll be nine tablets, there'll be ten tablets. And, and I read those things. See, Stephen Covey was a blessing to me. I mean, that was from Anthony Robbins, Stephen Covey. So don't, I read all those things. And you know, as I read them, I begin to see scripture more. I don't read those things as ends in themselves. I read them as means to an end. Because when I look at all that Steve Covey is saying in the seven habits of highly effective people, I just see scripture being operationalized. That this guy is just giving us an operational framework of empowerment via scripture. And at some point himself, he too had to refer to scripture in the book, even though he was a Mormon. Imagine what a Mormon gave us. Somebody said one day, I'm in church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's even at least remotely they say identify with Jesus. So it's just like Latter-day Saints. <laughs> Whatever. I don't condemn them. But somebody from that source, we don't believe in tongues, we don't believe in 
quoting scripture. We don't believe in speaking wisdom like you and I. Look at the book he produced. All of them. But what that system will never tell you is that you can circumvent steps. That's resurrection power. And that's what Paul kept on crying, that I may know him. And the pa So Paul is saying, what Christianity has made available is that you can skip steps and grades. You don't need to follow what people say. You don't need to follow their own timetable of success. That there is something about the power of resurrection that somebody that is dead will not need the process to be reversed. Can just jack up again. Resurrection is not a reversal of death. Oh, resurrection is stopping death in his track, and at the point death is stopped in his track, the guy rises up without going through the process of reversing what produced the death. The enemy said, "Let's engage them with the wisdom of this world, so that so the Jews are looking for signs." When they say Christ rose from the dead, they said. <laughs> The women came. The disciples said, we need to see some signs. So what did they do? They ran to the tomb. And when they got there, they, they saw the cloth fold there by itself. And the Bible said they were wondering, what exactly happened there? They were always looking for signs. That's why we attend meetings. Somebody said, prophesy in the name of Jesus this week. Amen. Amen. And there's nothing wrong with that. Signs. But in the Greek world, they are not looking for that. After you have received the signs, after we have gone through the weekend of conference, weekend of the teaching of the word, establishing what protocols and you know frameworks and whatever, on Monday morning, the Greeks are saying, give us the wisdom. Let me use an example. You are in your Hebrew world, you are saying, we have the sign. We have the sign. We, the people crossed the Red Sea by faith. <laughs> Is that a good sign? Did that really happen? Is that a sign we are looking for? That it is possible to cross the Red Sea. Yeah, that's a good sign, right? Why do you apply that on a Monday morning? Because the, the Greeks are now saying, we don't read your books. <laughs> We don't say your prayer. But the only way we believe your sign is if you can convert it to wisdom for us. So you are saying, by faith, the people cross the Red Sea. Praise God. God is powerful. And you are right. But the Greeks are saying, how did it happen? Because once we find the wisdom behind the sign, we can repeat the sign again. Because here am I as a Greek now, he's saying to you, without you knowing that that is what our work is saying to us, I don't have a physical Red Sea to cross. I have a financial Red Sea. Or somebody saying, a guy just left me. I have an emotional Red Sea. In fact, it's a big Red Sea, bigger than Atlantic Ocean. Emotion, I found myself this emotional Red Sea. I need to cross, man. So if I can understand how that sign was produced and the wisdom behind it, then we can reproduce it. Because it was the same sign that made the people to cross the Red Sea 
that can also make you to cross a financial red sea. So if we are not able to convert the signs to wisdom, let's talk. We are the ones after signs. That's how we are made, church folks. But the world out there is not after signs. They have to have wisdom. They are saying, where is the practical application of the signs? That for you to tell us your people, your ancestors crossed a physical Red Sea. The only way we will believe it is that, okay, we are all in this financial mess. Cross it. And by the time you cross it, and you're able to cross it, if you talk to them, they will believe the gospel. Because their wisdom is not anti-gospel. It's just that their own frame of reference is not established on the world. They believe everything is on Harvard Business Review Principle, economics, you know, macroeconomics, stability, micro, and they begin to quote those, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But you see, we have a superior argument because we are walking by the Spirit. So this message is asking everybody to accept responsibility for change. You are the change agent. You are the reason why that company is the way it is. God brought you in there for such a time as this to show them that Christ is risen. Look at a scripture. Oh, I'm going to be able to get to Paul because another scripture just popped up. Mark or Luke. Let's look at Luke. Why is... Resurrection and crucifixion, very important. Hallelujah. Is somebody with me? Yes, sir. Come on, I'm not here. I'm only hearing Pastor Dami's voice. Somebody with me? Yes, sir. Verse 38 of Luke 23. Luke 23, 38. And let's begin to round up. Victor, will you please get on the keyboard? And a superscription was also written over him. Read it for me. <laughs> right, read it again. Is it Paul is saying Christ crucified? Because it is only when you experience a crucified life you can convert Hebrew to Greek. All the while Jesus was called Jesus. But the day everything is going to be written in Greek, in Latin, in Hebrew, he was hanging on a cross. So the message of the cross is the Lord himself crossing out every tendency in you that will not allow you to plug into the wisdom of God. It's called the death of the cross. So that means Paul linked this wisdom to the message of the cross. That's what 1 Corinthians 1 is all about. He said the message of the cross for those who are perishing. It's foolishness. Said, but to those of us who have been saved, it is the power of God. That means every time God wants to do this conversion in you, 
He will introduce an element of the cross into your walk, into your life, into your thought process. That means there's something you have to die to. Something that is making sense in this world that everybody is excited about. And God will say, go and die on that cross so that you can live. So that we can put on his... You see, the Jews did not have a king. They were being ruled by the Romans. The only ruler there was Pontius Pilate, who was the governor. But you see, when Jesus stood on that cross, which is a type of shadow of what we're talking about, he became the king of the Jews. Oh, you don't understand? That means this is the epitome of the Jewish expression. And for that to take effect, he said, it has become an international phenomenon. We can't tell this narrative alone in Greek. I mean Hebrew. We must have two other international languages to it, which is what? Latin. That is the language of science, isn't it? <laughs> so for the first time, the Latin people looked at it. They said, he's the king of the Jews. Greek people looked at it and said, we don't understand. But what is they right there? Say, our language is showing up there. Our language is showing up there. How do you think the Greek must have felt that day? They felt so important. Like, he's the king of the Jews. So that means the Greek, without knowing, they are saying it and confessing it. He's the king of the Jews. So the kingship of Jesus as the king of the Jews became an international phenomenon. Felt everywhere. In commerce, in science, in IT, everywhere. So we don't just say it in church. He's my king. The cross. We allow the whole world to see that truth. That is real. And that's why I said he's looking for the next level of billionaires who have billions and still live a very simple life. Because they now understand the purpose of prosperity. Because it is the prosperity of a fool that will destroy him. So it is better for a fool not to prosper. So until God corrects the foolishness that is in us, in his wisdom, in his mercy, he won't send the billions. Because he knows if foolishness is still there, the billions should come with the foolishness. That is what is going to destroy that guy. So, it's, I mean, trust me, it's not that God cannot make you an instant billionaire, an instant phenomenon. But he's more interested in your soul than your pocket. Because until your soul prospers to a level, he can't trust you with. And that's why the Bible says, he said, if you cannot undo, feel the liquor. How, do, how does he put it? He said, who's going to entrust you with true riches? If you cannot undo mammon of unrighteousness. Because what we call money today is mammon of unrighteousness. If you trace the root of the salary you are receiving, you will see unrighteousness there. It's mammon of unrighteousness. It can't be true riches. But God is saying, yes, I permit this mammon of unrighteousness because somebody will kill somebody in the Niger Delta, take their oil, and somebody will walk in moving and get the money. Mammon of unrighteousness. But God says it's part of the system. He said, but that's not true riches. But he said, if you are not faithful in mammon of unrighteousness, who's going to entrust you with true riches? Acts 18. Let's close. He is a promise that a man is somebody getting something this morning? Yes, sir. He promised the ball. Marco do Procushi de Baba. Verse 16 of 17. While Paul waited for them at 18, his spirit was provoked within him. 
when he saw the whole city given over to idols, the name of the 21st century space is that the whole space is given over to idols. It's idolatry. So dare that there's even a program called Idols. <laughs> We're not abusing those people now before they see us to court. We're not saying their program is evil. But, but I'm just trying to say it's all idolatry. You know the meaning of idolatry in the New Testament? Covetousness. So you begin to wonder, how can somebody buys a car? And I'm like, oh my. The next thing you are beginning to think about is how to buy your own car. Or even how to kill the guy and take that car. <laughs> if God will just show you the thoughts of some hands. People are covetous. Because the wisdom of this world has taught us that if somebody gets it, it's decreasing, it's declining. So you better quickly get your own before it finishes. So there are only 100 cars. Somebody has got one, there are only 99 left. As you see, your chances are getting slimmer and slimmer as more people are getting it. That's not the wisdom of God. Because in the wisdom of God, what is yours is yours. Nobody can take what is yours. And you cannot take what is for other people. So why not pursue what is yours? Instead of running after. So, so why we say the whole place is given over to idols? Why not say idolatry in different shades? What is an idol? Whatever you worship in the place of God is an idol. And somebody will say, how dare you pity? I only worship God. <laughs> I've not been to the corner of your room now. It's not the way you go to the corner of your room and you are pouring something, oil on one statue there. Uh, it's an idolatry of the heart. Whatever takes the place of God is an idol. Whatever you cannot drop for God is an idol. A relationship can become an idol. You idolize it. You worship it. Say, this relationship is my shepherd. With it, I shall not want. This relationship makes me lie down in green pasture. It restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, this boo or this bay, surely the boo and the bay will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in this boo and bay forever. Your career can be an idol. When Paul saw that, as a man who is operating in the superior wisdom, his spirit was provoked. But look at the point. Eventually, because of time I have to close, they took him to Areopagos, mass in forum. And they say, excuse me, sir, what is this thing you are talking about? Because this is Paul in a Greek world. You see, that story in Acts 17, when you get over and read it, is, is the present day contention. Because these Epicureans have taught philosophers will never give up their position. So they challenge Paul. Imagine now, we've gotten to a point that the wisdom of this age is challenging the wisdom of God. They look at Paul and say, what are you talking about? You're a babbler. Because they, they believe so much in their own wisdom that they looked at Paul and said, you are babbling. What do you want to tell us? But you see, unlike many of us, if we were to be some of us, you will just give up. 
Because you are one. Imagine Paul, Paul stood his ground. I hope you are going to be like Paul. Paul said, I'm one. But one with the wisdom of God is the majority. As one man, I'm going to confront you guys. Imagine they took him. He said, tell us of this new thing. That masculine forum is called Areopagos, isn't it? It is, it is named after the Greek god Ares. The Greek god Ares is the Greek god of war. So that means this clash of wisdom is warfare. See, the spiritual warfare of our generation, nobody's fighting Shogun or Gu. You see, it's ignorant that it's making people to think ancestral causes. You see, when, when I go for meetings, I always say, all the ancestral causes from your generation, your grandmother, and believers are still saying, amen. I can't understand. It's ignorance. That's the name of the game. Imagine years after you are born again, you still believe somebody still remotely control you from the village. Somebody say God the remote control. I don't think. Don't let me be too hard. Do you know if I pray that prayer here this morning, as some people say, Amen. If I say everything remotely controlling your destiny, that is in, in, in the socket way of hell that the enemy is using in his bedroom. <laughs> At will, I break the chain. Amen. Amen. Anything that is standing in the way of your marriage that's not making you to marry, I break the chain. <laughs> so, so it shows what the person has believed. I believe they lie. Because once you become born again, it did not say he will become a new creation. He is. He is. Oh, you don't understand. He is. And, and the reason why a lot of people don't know is that he said they are not beholding. He said, Behold, all things are new. Behold. So it takes an, a fortizo, an opening of the eyes of your understanding to actually see that the one that went to the altar was not the one that returned, the one that went to the altar died. Christianity is not upgrading the old man. It is the old man dying. Who is alive now is the new man. And that is why I said put on the new man. Because you can put off by ignorance. So he said put on. The same way you put on your wristwatch. Put on your ring. He said when you wake up in the morning it does not matter what has happened overnight. Even in your dream. Even in mass courage is producing you. Pursuing you. Put on the new man. It's like the way you put on your phone. You understand? You wake up in the morning, what do you do? You put it on. And what, what happens? A new word comes on. It's called the word of phone. Cause we start coming in. He's saying the same way. Put on the new man. Because at times, ignorantly, you are put it off. Because people don't believe in this thing. So, so, what are you talking about? Ariel Pagos. God of war. So they were telling Paul that it's warfare here. So the warfare in our generation is fighting the wisdom of this age. It's not fighting ancestral cause. You see, ancestral causes are not those things, lower form of warfare. What is the higher form of warfare? Mindset. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. 
But they are marching through God. He didn't say to fight Shango or fight something in your village. To pull down strongholds. You see, stronghold is stronger than ancestral gods. Because once the heart is set, and there is a mindset that is diametrically opposed to the word of God, even Shango cannot penetrate. Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Those, see, that's the warfare. You can see that warfare in our in our is psychological. It's, it's, it's the will, it's the mind, it's belief system, it's paradigms. That's the real deal. It's not, you know, my, my mother married at 30, now I'm getting to 30. Well, you see, for you to even construct that narrative. It shows that your mind is there to submit to Christ. And, 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 and once you begin to come into that construct, it will happen. Because in this, in this way, what you believe is what you... Once you believe that is what is happening, then you become it. Say, cancer killed my grandmother. Cancer killed my mother. Now, I'm afraid cancer is going to kill me. Why must you be afraid? He is a new creation. All things are passed away. Why are you bringing what has passed away back? And he said, behold, all things are new. So, so the warfare of our generation is clash of wisdom. And that's why they brought Paul to this. is prophetically significant. They could have taken him anywhere, but that war, that Areopagos is dedicated to the God of war. That means they were telling Paul, this is warfare. And Paul looked at them. said, you guys want to tell me that Epicurean and Stoic philosophy is stronger than scripture? You know the, you know the motto? Paul quoted it also in 1 Corinthians. Do you know the motto? You can, what I'm talking about, you can Google it. This is wisdom age. You know the motto of the Epicurean philosopher? They are, they are the motto. The motto is let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know Paul talked about it. That's their motto. They don't believe. They say life. Why? Why are you troubling yourself? There's no nothing. It's pleasure. So let us eat and drink. Tomorrow, we die. So they, they were fatalists. And without knowing it, a lot of people in the church are beginning to imbibe that philosophy. Say, why are you? You know, life. Just, just have a nice family. You know, enjoy life. Make sure you make money. What you are saying is epicurean. You are saying let us eat and drink. Or tomorrow with that. But just that it's being packaged in a 21st century package. So you don't know that that is what you are saying. So we, we ask someone, what's the purpose of God for your life? So I don't know. So I just want to marry. I just want to marry, raise a good family. You know what you are saying? Let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. For tomorrow we die. That means you are saying this life, all this church, purpose, destiny, that is why people are confused. Me, I just want to marry. Leave it. If I don't want to marry a pastor, I don't want to marry a pastor. I don't want to Allah. Why, why are you castigating us? <laughs> and if God loves you, you will not marry a pastor. You will marry a pilot. <laughs> Win another 10 years, will become a pastor. <laughs> That's the story of Gloria Copeland. I just told the story of Gloria Copeland said, I don't want to marry a pastor. And God said, you okay, no problem. So when he, she, she met Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland was a pastor, I was a pilot. 
And as God, we have it. Or a robot bought a private jet and needed a pilot. Kenneth Copeland applied. They gave him the job. He started flying on a robot everywhere. And one of those days, out of boredom, he just said, let me even go into these people's meeting. They employed him as pilot, not to be part of. He said, let me even. And he sat down. And for the first time, listened to a robot. Eh? He said, are they Christians? <laughs> I've never. He gave his life to Christ. And that was how Kenneth Copeland started. Still flying on a robot, but now born again. And before he know it, before he will fly, then he will just sit in the plane until they are ready to take off. And I started following him to every meeting. And so, Greg Copeland said, well, I didn't marry a pastor. I married a pilot. I became a pastor. So all those things, they are mindset. Let us eat and drink. I, I can't marry a guy who is 10 years older than me. <laughs> you have looked at you and said, I'm 25. Maximum 30. And God is saying, you are going to marry a 42-year-old man. <laughs> Someone said, God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. God. Eh? Marry an ancient of days. God forbid. <laughs> How many of you know in true love? In true love. Age is irrelevant. <laughs> Supposing I'm not married yet and I'm a nice guy like I am. And at my age, I asked her a 25 year old. So she will tell me <laughs> that because I'm over 40 or whatever, she can't marry me. No, I don't think so. Because I, I won't come across as a 40 year old. I'll come as a 25 year old. <laughs> Amen. Praise God forevermore. Praise God. So you see, those things are just philosophies. And Areopagos is very, very significant. It's called, in, in the Old King James Version, it's called Mass Hill Forum. I put, since they are using the Old King James, can I put the, the Mass Hill Forum? Where did he use it? Or is that the new, new I mean, and, um, what's the name of that version? Where he called it Mass Hill Forum. Where, okay, yeah, Mass Hill. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mass Hill. The Mass Hill Forum, see, at that time, that is where they debate philosophy. That is where they talk about new things. Bible said they spend their time either to hear something new or to tell something new. The Mass Hill Forum of our generation today, the Areopagos of our generation today is social media. Look at me. If you cannot deconstruct the gospel on social media and fight philosophy, you are not ready. Because social media is where people pick all kinds of philosophies and begin to adopt it. As a believer in social media, you are not picking anything. You are, you are, you are somebody contributing. That space is crying for what? Content. You are not a content consumer as a 21st century saint. You are a content provider. You are shaping philosophy in that hill. You are not allowing what anybody is saying in that hill to determine who you are. You are just like Paul. 
You might think it's not effective. Paul stood this ground. You can imagine how many of them were against Paul. And that's why, you see, I, I've seen so many arguments going on, on social media. Believers, we go there, we're cautious. You know, they don't want to say they are Christians. So they won't say, in fact, some places they will say, don't quote scripture here. And, and people will say, we give up. Paul said, what are you talking about? Social media is an advantage and can also be a disadvantage. So imagine Paul now having access to social media. What do you think Paul will be saying? But see, surprisingly, if you read the end of that place, some of them believed. Yes, sir. Give, give me the last verse. With all the braggado, with all the precarious historic. So that means there's a soft spot somewhere. There's a loophole somewhere. And it is that loophole I want to describe in one minute as we close this morning. Give me the verse 34. Oh, are we being helped this morning? Yes, sir. Please, you guys are the ones in corporate world. You have been helped this morning. Yes, sir. I, see, what I'm teaching this morning is the core grace of God upon my life. The ability to bring this thing out in such a manner like this. Hallelujah. How big certain men clave unto him. They didn't want to say, man, this is what we're looking for. They, <laughs> and believed among them, Dinosaurus, you see. So they, they were mentioning those things. They said, another woman, Damaris, and others with them. You see, with all the braggado, with all this, well, so you see, that means the wisdom of this world, we always, wisdom of God, we always conquer the wisdom of this world. Forget all the, imagine you, would you have believed that some of them will believe? Having been in this sense, what is the, what, what do we look for? Paul looked around and he saw an altar to the unknown God. What do we appeal to in the 21st century? The unknown God. There's, an, there's the element of the unknown God in every man, in every philosophy. You know what? Just like these Atenians, they set on many altars. In fact, if, if you read Bible, the Bible says they had like over 500 idols. Imagine Paul going around looking at those idols dedicated and suddenly Paul just saw one. You know what they put on it? To the unknown God. Ah! Paul said, man, this is what I'm looking for. They have acknowledged in their philosophy that there is a loophole. There is an X. Paul is saying, find X. There's a loophole in every philosophy that is not written in Christ. They are all telling us without us knowing we are looking for a God. We know that God is in existence, but it's an unknown God. Can you tell us about this God? And Paul, look at Paul's message that day. He did not quote a single scripture. Paul said, this God that you call unknown is the God of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temple made with man hands. Neither does he need anything. He gives to all life, bread, and all things. He has made from one blood all nations to dwell on the face of the earth. He has determined their boundaries and their time of visitation that all men should seek the Lord and grope after him. He says, it's not far from any one of us. He said, even your poet said, in him we live and move and have our being. He said, for as much as in God, earth is not like gold and silver, something great by man's imagination. He said, Paul said, this time of ignorance, God has overlooked and is commanding every man everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day which is going to judge the world in righteousness and he has given assurance unto all men in that he raised Christ from the dead. The 
And so that Paul told them. The next time we meet, we, we, we do a diagnosis of the message of Paul. Because that is how to counteract the wisdom of this age. You must know that God that made heaven and earth doesn't dwell in temple made in human end. That means God is not restricted to any building. That aspect of God in a church because it's a building is gone forever. God is God on Monday morning as much as it's God on Friday night. We do rise up this morning. I thought somebody will be praying the spirit now. I spoke that this is a youthful church. This is also a very serious spiritual church. What we have received this morning is an apostleship. Redek is standing a man. Ubal of Redem is seated above. Yell of Ram is seated above. In Jesus' name. What is the reconciliation factor? The cross. The cross. And how do you know you are beginning to respond to the cross? There is something you want to do. The Lord will just come through for you and cross it out. And you're like, Lord, if I don't do this, then I'll die. He said, yes, that is exactly what I want. I want you to die to reach because that is the only way I can release the power of resurrection. The power of resurrection is not meant for those who are still alive. So that means in your trial, God will introduce the cross. For somebody in a relationship, it might be to break that relationship. And you are like, Lord, this boy is my shepherd. I shall not want. God said, that's the more reason why you have to break it. So for somebody at that level, that's the cross. Somebody, you, you have money, you've been saving for something. God will say, I brought you to this church. Give everything to this church. And I'm like, Lord, how do I survive? I have school fees to pay. And the Lord is saying, yes, I want to show you another wisdom. That is why I need to first of all kill that which you are relying on. That is the cross. Even the Lord himself, to show how difficult the cross can be. Ask the Lord if it is possible. You could see that when we get to the cross, humanity will come in. Say, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. So that is the point. That's where you know that God is introducing the cross to you. Your prayer at that level will be, if it is possible, oh, I don't want to go to the let this cup. But the Lord said, I align. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He prayed that prayer three times and he surrendered. 
And before I know it, three days after, <laughs> the power of resurrection came from inside the tomb, not from outside. They blocked it from outside. The, when the power broke out, the soldiers were dead. An angel came and sat on the stone. And he said, why are you looking for the living? Among the dead, he's not here, he's risen. And that is what's about to happen to somebody's business, somebody's relationship, somebody's mandate, somebody's program, somebody's career path. The Lord is saying it is time to experience resurrection power. Can we begin to declare it? Resurrection. In the name of Jesus. That is the whole essence of Christianity. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. I'm alive. 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 I'm in Jesus' name. With all eyes closed, all that bow to our people in the house this morning who have not met the Lord. Or who have met the Lord, but who have not, who are yet to be serious with the Lord. And this morning, the Lord is reaching out to you and you are saying in your heart, I want to reconcile with God. If you are in that state, we'd like you to place your hand on your chest as we pray with you this morning. You feel the need to be reconciled back to God. Thank God for those hands. Please just keep those hands there. You don't have to be ashamed of anything, please. We all started that way too. We all fell. We all came back. And that's why we are here today, preaching to you the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please, I'd like you to take one step again. If you are doing that, just come to me here. And let me pray with you. Thank you. Thank God. Don't be ashamed. Please don't stay back now because I asked you to come. That is the direction in which we are being led this morning. And if you are ashamed of Jesus, too bad. I mean, you don't have to be ashamed of anything that has to do with Jesus. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. We're still waiting. Our brother is still coming. Our other sister is still coming too. There's that sister there. The Holy Spirit is convicting your heart to come. I'm waiting for a sister. Why not just come? You know yourself. Even as I'm talking now, the Holy Spirit is saying that's you. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. Where's that sister? I'm waiting for you. I'm, I'm willing to wait. Because I know it is important you come. It is important you come. Just come. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, she has come. Thank you, Father. Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray for these people who are giving and dedicating their hearts to you. Thank you because their sins are forgiven. Thank you because you've received them into the kingdom. Now they are new creations in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have brought them to be partakers of this meeting. May this signify a new beginning for them. May it be a 360 turnaround in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for receiving them into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. You may go back to your seat. God bless you. But please, before you leave service this morning, where's Pastor? Please, please come. 
if you know the decision that you have made, you're serious about it, whether it's dedicating, whether it's just giving your life to Christ, make sure you see this pastor. He just has some things to tell you. And the only thing I will also tell you that this is a new church, make sure you always attend church and grow. Because it's not just your back that is needed, it is your maturity that is needed. When a child is born, there is joy. But when a child matures, and it's also in, 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 in have, have the capacity to do some other things, God is glorified the more. So thank you very much for that decision. The Lord bless you. In Jesus' name. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at PowerPoint Tribe.